Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Before I begin this morning's message, I want to call us to prayer for the situation in Ukraine. I think we cannot overstate the importance of this. Former President George W. Bush said this, Russia's attack on Ukraine constitutes the gravest security crisis on the European continent since World War II. And that's a powerful statement. And so I believe it calls God's people to prayer. So would you bow with me and let me lead us through this brief season of prayer for Ukraine? Would you spend the next few moments to pray for the Christ followers and the missionaries in Ukraine who are remaining in their nation in the midst of the attack? Pray that their witness would lead many people to faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray for the protection of Ukrainian citizens, for those who are remaining behind to defend their country, and for those who are fleeing their country seeking safety, that they might find welcome and refuge in a new nation? Would you pray for President Biden and the other world leaders to have wisdom, God's wisdom, to make right decisions to know how to deal with this crisis? And would you pray for Vladimir Putin to come to his senses and cease this aggression? Heavenly Father, we look to you in the midst of the crisis. As we have sung, you are the God who parted the seas for the Israelites. You are the God who gave David the power to slay Goliath. You are the God who cleansed and healed the lepers. You are the God of miracles. And Lord, our world needs a miracle right now. And we ask you to do what none of us can do and that even powerful world leaders cannot do. Lord, we need divine intervention, and we ask you for that. Lord, do whatever it would take to protect your people and all the citizens of Ukraine, and to restore peace and order, safety and security in that region of the world. We pray this prayer of faith in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Lord, and Master. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. When I was in college, Cindy and I were privileged to tour Europe uh, with my college choir. We went through five different countries and uh, 10 days, and one of the stops that we made was particularly powerful and profound. It was at the former uh, POW camp of the Nazis called Dachau. 
And it was there that the horrors of war, even though I had lost my own father uh, to war, somehow in that visit, the horrors of war came uh, so powerfully to my understanding because the, the guide began to describe some of the atrocities that were perpetuated on POWs there. And I'll not repeat some of those. But one of the things that they did was use a psychotic drug that was derived from the peyote uh, plant, a cactus found in, in Mexico. And that particular chemical can be used to uh, assert control over a person's mind. Their, their goal was to, to dominate completely the POW's mind. Their experiments were not successful, thank the Lord, but their objective was to gain complete control over another human being by controlling their mind. And that horrific historic example is not the end of the enemy's attempts to control our minds. And I'm not talking about Hitler's Nazi regime, that's gone, but uh, the enemy of our soul, our perpetual enemy, who is far more powerful and insidious even than Hitler ever was, our soul's enemy wants control of our minds. Because if you have control of someone's mind, you have control of all of them. The mind is so central and vitally important to who we are. Our series is called The Chief End of Man. It's based on a phrase from a document of faith written way back in the 1640s called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, if you know the history of that document, that statement of faith, it was uh, an attempt by the theologians of the church in England in the 1640s to harmonize their theology with that of the Church of Scotland. And so they worked out this document that would give statements of their belief in biblical doctrines. And the very first question in that doctrine is basically, why do we exist? Why are we here? Why do we inhabit space and breathe air on planet Earth? What's our purpose, our reason for existence? And in their language, they call that the chief end of man. And they were not speaking in terms that were gender specific, but rather, what is the purpose for mankind? both collectively and as individuals. Why do we exist? And their answer was short, concise, and powerful. The chief end of man is that we glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I love that. And so uh, Pastor Daniel uh, conceptualized this theological framework for, for this series, and he told me I could preach a few sermons in it. And so we're sharing that, uh, that series. He'll be back next week, and he will preach next week and the following week to conclude our series. But in this series, we're looking at the basic components that make us who we are as God-created individuals, those things that make us us. And so we looked last week at the heart, and if you missed that message, I hope that you'll go back and, and listen to the podcast. 
next week, Pastor Daniel will talk about the affections, and then he'll conclude the series with the will. But today, we're going to look at the mind, the mind. And here's our theme, our big idea for today that we're going to unpack from Scripture. What we think controls what we do. What we think controls what we do. Now, let me quickly build a, a theological framework for uh, this, this concept. Before you came to Christ, if, if you're a Christ follower, if, if there has been a time that you turned your back on the old life of, of sin and rebellion against God and you turned to Jesus Christ, believing in him, trusting in him, giving your heart and life to him, you, as we say often here, stepped across the line of faith to be born again, as Jesus called it in John chapter 3, before you did that, before you became a Christ follower by faith, you were controlled by your old nature. All of us inherited a sinful nature. It's in our physiological DNA. Uh, you don't have to, to teach a young child how to do things that are wrong. They come by it naturally. So did we. It's a part of our nature. And before we come to faith in Christ, we are basically slaves to, if you will, our old nature. But when we come to trust in Christ, when we step across the line of faith, the Bible says we become a new creation. There is a new nature that is implanted within us in our very being and our soul by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's a part of salvation, a part of redemption, the Bible says. Now, does our old nature with all of its temptations and evil tendencies disappear and go away completely? Not a trick question. The answer is no, it doesn't. It still hangs around. It still wants control. But Whereas we were enslaved to it in the past before we became a follower of Christ, we no longer are enslaved to it as a new creation in him. We have a new nature. And we're going to talk about the tension and conflict and battle between those two natures throughout this message this morning. And so we're going to go to many passages of Scripture, well, a few anyway. Romans 6 is our first. Romans 6, beginning with verse 5, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, said this, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Dalton, wherever you are, there's a, a song that we sing, I'm no longer a slave to sin. And that's right out of this passage. We are no longer enslaved by our old sinful nature. Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Or let me rephrase that this way. When we put our faith in Christ, we were born again, and our past life of sin became dead forever. 
In other words, sin no longer has control of us. The penalty of sin has been paid in full. Now, I'm not trying to throw theological rocks at other faith groups, but let me just say this. There are some denominations and faith groups, Christian faith groups, that believe that you can be born again, you can be saved, you can be redeemed, but if you mess up bad enough, you lose that salvation. And you have to do something, I'm not sure what, but you have to do something to get it back. But then you can lose it again. And and then you get it back. And and I'm poking fun a little bit, but the, the point is this. Listen, we didn't do anything to gain our salvation. We didn't do anything to pay for our salvation. Who paid for our salvation? Jesus did. We received it as a gift of God's grace. So you didn't do anything to purchase it. You can't do anything to lose it or to gain it back. If you are truly born again, if you meant it when you stepped across the line of faith to trust in Christ as Savior, if that was real to you and the Holy Spirit came to live in you as a child of God, he will never abandon you. You might walk off the path, you might fall off the rails, but he will not abandon you. Just like a parent who loves you, you might break their heart, but if they're a loving parent, they're not going to disinherit or abandon you for that. And our perfect father, our good, good father, as we often sing, will not abandon us either. So, continue, verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. We bank everything on the resurrection. Amen? Everything on the resurrection. He was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Now, Paul spent all of those words to set a theological context for what that means to your life and mine. So follow me, verse 11. So... Because of all that theological truth, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. What Paul is trying to help us understand, the remnants of our old nature are still around. They're still vying for control. They're still trying to pull us back down. But we no longer are at their mercy. We are no longer without choice. When we were without Christ before grace, we didn't have another nature to turn to. Sin was all we knew. But when we come to Christ, we have a new nature. And so Paul says, verse 12, look at this, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let sin. Do not give in. Here's what Paul is saying. We have a choice. We have a choice regarding who or what we allow to control, to have control over our thoughts and our lives. The power for victory over sin is ours, but we have a choice whether or not to 
to follow that and to give in to that or to give in to our old sinful nature. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Here is God's desire for you. Our new life in Christ is to be lived for the glory of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his desire for us. Let me try to illustrate it this way. I want you to just to imagine this personally. Follow me on this and put yourself in this imaginary scenario. Just imagine that you lived in the worst slum in Houston. You lived in one of those apartment complexes where there were drug deals all the time. There were shootings. You would hear gunshots outside your apartment. Uh, there were uh, murders and abductions and, and all kinds of evil going, and you lived in the midst of that, and some people do, right? They live in that. Well, let's just say while you're living in that, someone came to you and said, listen, I've, I've got a better place for you to live. I've got a beautiful home, completely furnished, in a safe, secure neighborhood with good neighbors. It's a, it's a beautiful place to live, and, and I want to give it to you. You don't have to buy it. Just, just come and live there. And so you say, that's, that's unbelievable. That's awesome. And you go and you live in this beautiful home in a safe, secure neighborhood with good neighbors and, and you can live a good life. Let me, if, if that were true, if that were reality, would you ever want to go back and live in the slum? Of course not. A person would have to be a fool to do that. And yet, that's what we do when we have been given a new life in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, by a God who loves us and gave his son for us. And when we choose to go back to the old nature and the ways of sin, we are choosing to go live in the slum again. And so Paul says, that's not God's will. Uh, we have read Romans 12, 1 and 2 here often. Pastor Milt preached on it during our last series. I want to I back up one verse before I read those two verses again. And you understand, right, that the, the chapter and verse divisions were not in the original letter by the Apostle Paul that that's something that editors added to help us keep track of where we are. But I, I want you to read it now as a flow from the end of chapter 11 into the beginning of chapter 12. Look at this, Romans 11, verse 36. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Paul is overflowing with praise at the glory of God. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 12. And so, because of this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. There's the choice. To give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Not because you're afraid of him, 
Not because you're, you're worried about the consequences, what you have to gain. No. Because of all he has done for you, let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He's saying that it is God's desire that we give control over our thoughts and our lives to him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You can make that bad choice. He's saying don't do that. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul hits the nail on the head. Sin begins with sinful thinking. Godliness begins with godly thinking. Or to put it this way, if we think rightly, we will live godly. In Romans 8, Paul contrasts the two different ways of thinking. Follow with me quickly. Romans 8, beginning with verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. That is a sad picture of those who don't know Christ. But look at the contrast, verse 9. But you, Christ follower, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then parenthetically he says, and remember that those that do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. If you are a Christ follower, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And the, the question is, will you listen to him? Will you yield to him? You don't have to yield to your sinful nature. Verse 12, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. This is not the old, I got to try harder to do better thing. That doesn't work. This is all about what we yield to, what we choose to do. We can only live a godly life by yielding to the power of God's Spirit. Or let me phrase it this way. It is not our self-discipline that gives us victory in our thought lives. It is yielding to God's Spirit who lives in us. 
It's not about trying harder. It's not about self-discipline. In the first service, I said, you know, it's not like going on a diet. I said, you know, I've been on diet so many times, and you can tell they've not been very successful. It's, it's not about self-discipline. And after the service, somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I've lost 200 pounds. And I wanted to say, well, so have I, five pounds at a time, but I keep gaining them back. But I admired his self-discipline. But can I tell you, you and I don't have the self-discipline to live the victorious Christian life. We don't have the self-discipline to keep our thoughts clear. It is only by yielding to the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit. I want to I let you see what the psalmist said and leave you with some practical suggestions. The psalmist said this, Psalm 104, verse 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May, look at this, may all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let me leave you with three practical suggestions about how to give your mind, your thoughts over to the Lord, then we're done. The first, if you give the Lord the first part of your day, the Scripture and God's Spirit will shape the way you think. Before you watch the news and who shot who, before you you get into your crazy busy day schedule, before you eat breakfast or whatever you do to start your day, give the Lord 10 or 15 minutes and spend time in the Word and focusing your mind on him. If you will start your day with the Lord, it makes all the difference in keeping your thoughts focused on him. Here's another suggestion. Throughout your day, if you will talk with the Lord in your mind, he will fill your thoughts with his presence. Now listen, we think of prayer as being, okay, I've got to stop and bow my head and close my eyes or maybe get on my knees. And that that can be a part of our prayer life. But can I tell you, real prayer is an ongoing, continual dialogue with God. And as you go through your day, if you will look for things that God has done to be good to you and give him thanks... It is amazing how he will change your thoughts. If you will look for blessings, and you know what? If you're looking for blessings, you can find them. They're there in all of our lives. Whether it's just a home that's warm during cold weather, or a car that's running and not breaking down, or whatever it might be, we are filled in our lives with blessings. The question is, are we thankful to God or not? And if you will perpetually give God thanks and then mix in the things you need to talk to him about, have an ongoing dialogue with God in your mind. He will transform the way you think. And then one more. One more. When thoughts come into your mind that you know are not pleasing to God, we all have them, okay? Whether they're thoughts that are prideful thoughts that are angry, thoughts that are selfish, whatever it might be. If we have thoughts that we know are not pleasing to God, 
if we will immediately confess those to the Lord and ask him to forgive us, guess what? He will. And there's not a thing that comes into our minds that he can't handle if we'll just confess them to him. It is absolutely essential that we give our minds to the Lord because what we think controls what we do. Let's pray. Father, would you transform our minds and help us to think in ways that give honor to you. We understand that our enemy wants to control our mind. He wants to pull us back to the old ways of sin and selfishness. But we also know that if we're Christ followers, we are filled with the presence and power of God's Spirit. And we have a choice to whom we will listen, to whom we will yield. Help us to make righteous choices in our minds, for that's where the battle is fought and victory is won. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday, everybody.